Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. All right, Paul, we're back. What's been happening? Uh, no, not much, man. I uh, I went to this place called Wolf Trap on Saturday, and it's I did it last year too. And I watched last year. I watched The Empire Strikes Back. This year, I watched The Return of the Jedi. And it's outdoor, and the National Symph- Symphony Orchestra is playing the oh, score. Yeah, and it's you can't tell. I probably said this last year, but you can't tell like there's a live band, you know playing the music it's so so awesome that's cool that was it dark out or do they start yeah, playing it's before? at night starts yeah, at like so it's pretty o'clock. late then huh yeah 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 that's awesome i've heard of that but i've never been to something like that well nice man um i had a good weekend uh we we won the state championship for my son's 11 yeah. year old baseball team yeah were they excited or were they just kind of like, eh? Oh, no, we were pumped because uh, we lost the first game on Friday. And then we played a couple of games on Saturday. And I think, uh, I forget if we lost one or not, but yeah, we went into the game and we played three games on Sunday. So we ended up just crushing the last, the, the championship game, crushing the other team. We 15 run them after three innings. Oh, so, boy. Yeah. It was great though. The, the bats came alive. The boys came together, and it's all about their attitude, man. Yeah, we've had so many games throughout the season where they're just like, you know, they don't want to be there and they play terrible. So we had a, so weird. I don't remember not wanting to play baseball. Yeah, I don't I was know. Growing up, man, it's it's like what would I you rather it. be doing than playing baseball with your friends? I loved it. But but we get to go. We get rings, and then we get state championship rings, which is pretty funny. But they present them to us at target field right before a twins game like down on the field oh that's August. cool yeah so. everything's great about that except target yeah i know we should call it a different something different walmart field but it's a beautiful stadium nonetheless yeah. cool um yeah so that was my weekend that was fun um but all right man it's uh hopefully i don't get disturbed while we were just before we went live somebody walked in here and wanted to see this model home um i'm like i'm not the realtor but you can leave a message so hopefully nobody yeah. else shows up <laughs> maybe i'll invite him on and we'll do what we talked about last week like explain yeah. infinite hey, banking over to here. a complete stranger <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be fun yeah all right man well what are we talking about today today um over the weekend i had a there was a workshop call that that i was a part of and somebody started talking about investors versus bankers and the mentality there so this is after all infinite banking we're talking about so i thought why don't we why don't we um compare the everyday american investor with infinite banking or i guess a practicer of infinite banking since you coined that word last week um yeah we can compare those two and look at how as a everyday american investor how you're taught and, and, and how most people do, the everyday American looks at their wealth building from an investor perspective compared to 
how an infinite banking practicer views their wealth building and how their the their what they want just by looking at it through a different perspective and as a banker instead of an investor like your list of uh you know uh, important pieces to that financial picture are completely different and how you view money so yeah yeah um why don't you take the first one so the one of the biggest things that what's funny is this is not the first thing that everyday american investors look at but it is the first thing that you know bankers would look at yeah well, I want to start off by saying, and I'll get to this. Um, the first one's going to be, you know, risk, you know, a discussion of risk. But what Nelson talks about in becoming your own banker, right, is you get together with your friends, and all they can talk about is the ten percent of their salary that they're investing or saving somewhere, right? Yeah. And um, but they're ignoring the thirty-four and a half cents plus or minus that's going out the door to interest to somebody else's bank. So I think that's important. That's an important distinction right out of the gate for between the investor, you know, the the typical American, everyday American investor. And when I say that, I mean, you know, you're a W two employee or a ten ninety nine employee, and you have a maybe you have a four hundred one k or an IRA or something like that, and that's that's what you do. Um, that's what I used to do. Um, so yeah, I think the difference is and. I think we were all guilty of this, Dave, before we discovered IBC is we didn't really think about risk because we were programmed to, hey, when the market's down, you're buying more. But, you know, sometimes the market's going to be up and you'll be buying less. It's called dollar cost averaging. It's so great. And of course, you can read, you know, I think I think Barry Dyke has written on this topic where it's it's that's com complete nonsense. You know, over over time, you're not doing as good as they say you're doing so. Um, right. and of course you're risking everything as the, as the everyday American investor. Um, and you're people, taking, yeah, 100% of the risk, all of the risk, you take all the risk and the people, these big firms that are managing your money, quote, managing your money. Right. And of course they don't care about you because they have clients that have hundreds of millions of dollars that they really care about. Um, so anyway, what they care about is having your money under management, which that, that's fine. Everyone needs to get paid and that, that's the way you want to go. But what I've discovered is that I'm smart enough to control my own wealth and my own family's destiny. I don't need someone to babysit my money. Um, and I'm not trying to be disparaging. It, it, it probably sounds that way, but it's... Well, because we did at one point have people babysitting our money. Yeah, and that's, that's really all it knew. is. Yeah, that's really all it was. They weren't it wasn't an you know it wasn't a managed portfolio right i i picked that i was moderately aggressive cuz i was 27 years old or 23 years old or whatever and it was put into 10,585 different mutual funds yeah you know a nickel there a dime there a $100 there most and, investing uh, in the same things probably all yeah it's just anyway and i didn't understand it all this was a lot of red all the time just by the market being up like how am i losing money if like, why are we buying and selling so much? Yeah. Um, just buy low and let it ride, please, or something, you know, whatever. But anyway, risk. Uh, you assume all the risk and the banker or the infinite banking concept practicer. I don't know if that's a word or not, but. <laughs> I think we determined it is in Britain. Yeah, it's a word on this podcast now. Um, what we're doing by, by growing our capital 
uh, inside of dividend paying whole life insurance is we're, we're transferring risk to the life insurance company, which is putting our premium dollars to work in things that are not market correlated. So we've said this before, Dave, right? Like, I don't care. It's mildly interesting to me what the stock market is doing. The Dow's yep. up, the Dow's down, the S&P's up, the S&P's down, the NASDAQ up, you know, whatever. Don't care. I mildly, I find that mildly interesting because I don't have any money there. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a difference between risk management and risk transfer, which you do the same. You manage risk. Like, let's think of another example. You're driving a car. You manage risk while you're driving a car by stopping at stop signs, by looking both ways before you make a right or a left turn even or by um, you know going the speed limit or relatively close to the speed limit you're managing risk but you're transferring risk of accidents the financial impact of that completely to the insurance company right minus your small deductible that you may have to right. pay um, but really you've transferred all the risk of an accident to the insurance company uh, that's that's the difference when the everyday American, invest in the stock market, they manage their risk by telling their advisor uh, that what what their risk profile is. You know, like I'm yeah. aggressive. I've got a high risk profile, which means I've got, <laughs> which means I'm okay with losing money, apparently. And right? That could, that could be what it means. Because <laughs> risk just means uh, likelihood of loss. We just didn't see this crash coming. Yeah. Yeah. Where on, on, as an infinite banking practicer, you transfer all the risk of that financial future, uh, you, you know, your, your, the growth of your capital and the, uh, the impact, the financial impact of your death, you transferred all that to the insurance company. So that's right. Big difference. Yeah. Right. So next you have, we have listed, I like this one and we've discussed this before, but this is super important is. Everyone's focused on the return on capital, which is not unimportant. The banker, though, right? Return of capital. Exactly. So this is usually the leading metric that is sold to the everyday American investor. Hey, compare all these different mutual funds. Which one would you choose, uh, you know, everyday American investor? And the only criteria, the only metric I'm going to show you is the average rate of average return, return over the last one, five, and 10 years. So which one are you going to choose? Oh, obviously the one with the highest rate of return uh, of over that time frame. You know? And that's the only metric, unfortunately, that most um, people are sold. And the only thing they have to go by is average rate of return, never mind expense ratio, um, yep. never mind how, how that fund would have fared um, on an actual rate of return basis versus an average rate of return basis. Um, it's all about how big of a return can I get? Um, so that's return on your capital, which you, like you said, is important. You need to get a return on your capital. Sure. But what's even more important is return of your capital. You know, I, I'd be surprised if anybody listening who's been in the market or have done any other kind of alternative investing over the maybe the last 10 years, 15 years or so, has at one point or another not gotten their capital back. Like that's sure. return of capital. What's the opportunity cost of losing $50,000 in an alternative investment that didn't pay out? The opportunity of cost of that is 
the interest you could have earned on that $50,000 over the remainder of your entire life. Yeah. And we, we know what that's like, don't we? We do. <laughs> we certainly do. If only yep. it was 50,000. So, yeah, it's, yep. uh, that's how you, well, you know, there's those who have and those who will, but, uh, yeah, we've just, we discussed that at length, but it's, that's how you grow. I never would do go back five years. I'm not doing that. Like I go back in yeah. time. Right. But there's also those who don't have to, those who have, those who will, and those who don't have to, because they've listened to the experiences of others and learned from that and done their yep. own investigation and decided that return of capital is my number one priority, which goes hand in hand with risk. Yep. Right. And folks, you can, you can help that by, you know, collateralized lending, just like a bank does. We've talked about it. Think like a bank. Banks take collateral. They take guarantees. When you take a mortgage out, that house is fully, that loan is fully collateralized against the, not only the property you're buying, but all your other assets and still full, right? If you, if you default. So that means your car, your kid's 529, probably your savings account, your checking account until, until it's all made whole. So, yep. uh, think like a bank, not telling, take people to the ringer, but um, certainly return on your capital should be your number one focus. And then everything else on top of that is gravy. Did you say return of your capital? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. Return of your capital. Yeah. Yes. I think you said return on. of your capital. You definitely I meant return on. of your capital. Yeah. I couldn't read your sloppy writing. I was looking at the wrong column. It was chicken scratch, man. I just had a, <laughs> a moment of, hey, these ideas are coming to me. Let's write them down and send you a picture of it. <laughs> no, I'll write good. more legibly next time. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. All right. So the All next right. one, you you take take this one, but this is another one that's one of the most highlighted um quote unquote benefits of maximizing your 401k. Yeah, well, it's sold to you that you're and I've had this discussion with with friends of mine, with peers, because what they're saying isn't untrue. You are, def but you're deferring taxes. You are, but they take it as I'm lowering my taxable income. And that was one of my biggest advising points when I was just a, a regular guy telling young soldiers to, you know, put as much money in their TSP as possible and check it out. It lowers your taxable income. So you'll save money in taxes this year. Like it matters to, like it matters to an active duty military member. You hardly, you know, less than half of your yeah. pay is taxable anyway. Yeah, you only pay tax on your base pay, your subsistence, and whatever specialty pay, EH, which is a, a decent chunk of your pay. Is, yeah, is not and when tax, you're deployed, right? you don't pay any at all. So that's right. Yeah. Yep. So you don't need those tax breaks as an active duty military member. I'll just say that outright. Right now is not when you need the tax breaks. You need the tax breaks later down, later on in life when you have zero other uh, tax free income. If that's yeah, how you that's right. designed your, your life. Yeah. Yeah. So when we say tax advantage, that's what we're talking about. Qualified plans, creations of the government. And if we go back to Nelson, why did it create these tax advantage things, these qualified plans? Well, through onerous taxation, we'll just lower my tax rates. Don't, or don't have an income tax at all. Like have a national sales tax and that's it or something, whatever. But they create these loopholes. They create the problem and then the solution, the loophole. Like it's nothing, nothing suspicious. Who's it going to advantage? Of course, they're going to tax a larger pot of money later in life when your 401k is worth a million dollars or $2 million or whatever. 
and they're going to tax that harvest, right? At age 70, what is it now? 73 for RMDs? Yeah, I think it's going up to 75, but it's going to be an unknown tax rate in an unknown tax yeah. bracket. You yeah, have no the idea. future is unknown. And yeah. your return no on investment is completely unknown at this yeah. point. And I got to hand it to my, my old financial advisor was on board with us in that she said, you have no idea what the tax rates are going to be. I was like, well, why am I putting money in here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's tax advantage versus what does the banker uh, get? What does the IB infinite banking practicer get? Yeah. Well, by by putting our dollars in a whole life policy, we're, we're eliminating income tax from the equation. Right. Because that money is going to contractually grow. And then on top of that, earn a dividend, most likely year after year after year. And since I'm accessing that capital through policy loans, I'm not going to pay tax on that money, on that growth, on any of it. You right. will obviously pay tax if I do something productive with that policy loan money, like an investment or a real estate transaction or something. And that's tax. Obviously, the, the profits from that would be taxable, but the money inside the contract is not taxed. Right. The growth is not taxed if you Technically access tax it via loans. deferred. That's right. Right. But if you access it via loans, as you know, proponents of IBC would would teach you, then yeah, you will not pay taxes on that. Um, great. You just mentioned something that well, hey, if you if you take a cash value loan and go invest in something else and you earn money on that, you're going to pay taxes. But but what have you just done? This goes to the very next point. You've put the same dollar to work in two places at the same time. That's how yeah. the banker views their dollars. How can I put this dollar to work in multiple places at the same time where the everyday American investor thinks there's only one use for a dollar? I can save it, I can spend it, I can give it, or I can invest it. And mm. any of those four things, I can only do one thing with it at a time. That's not true if you think like a banker. That's right. And that's, that's kind of the argument I always get in these 529 college you know, savings plan things or, or whatever else. But I was like, that money has one use. And if that, once it's, once it's gone, once it's tuition payment or books or whatever, it's gone forever. You could have put the money in a policy. And then if you still wanted to do the 529, which I don't know why you would, you could put the money in the 529. And, but now you'd have money doing two different jobs. Exactly. Anyway, it's, yeah, man, great. Such a great point. Uh, it's like using sawdust to create electricity at the sawmill. Yeah, that's a great example from the book. Co-generation. So, yeah, exactly. So, and that's I think one of the biggest keys that's missed on the the uh, the people who who downplay IBC or you know these threads on whatever different investment investment sites. They take they completely miss the banking aspect and the fact that. If you're involved in the banking process, you can put dollars to multiple uses at the same time and earn multiple rates of return. Yeah, it's almost like, hey, why did Nelson name the book The Infinite Banking Concept? Or why did he, you know, coin that phrase for the concept? Banking, infinite banking. It's uh it's not about investments of any kind. It's about how one finances, finances the needs the, of life. Exactly. Like it's it's so simple. Um, you know, you could tell though, right, Dave? Um, and I tell, I usually tell 
been starting to tell prospect, prospective clients this, and I was like, you know, I can tell when people really, and we've had a recent, a very recent shared client of ours, he's a listener and and uh, up in Indiana, that you could tell like he really understands it. And the people who understand IBC are always trying to find a way to pay more premium into their own system of policies, whether it's one policy, two policies, 10 policies, whatever, they're always looking to expand their system. And that's how you know that that person understands what is going on. They know the value of it. And, you know, they've had that light bulb moment. Yep, exactly. And you actually just led into speaking of financing, kind of the next point. Um, I do that by accident. I didn't yeah, know it was completely, in. completely by accident. That's how we continue to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how do, speaking of financing, how does the investor look at financing versus the banker? Yeah, well, you get, you get the investor who's going to, you know, borrow, save. And I, I, I guess I look at like the, I kind of look at the saver when we had that discussion of the saver, the debtor, the investor and the, and the banker. And you know, you're kind of going up the stairs and then you borrow and then you're back down to the zero line again, or you go into debt. Whereas yeah. the infinite banker who's using just the right product, using the right vehicle to do banking with a dividend paying whole life insurance contract, he never, he uses, he's leveraging the policy and he's, but he's also never interrupting the compound growth of his money that's been paid in premium, right? It's got that contractual growth, which never stops. Even if he borrows against that equity in the policy, it's still going to grow like he didn't borrow from it. So that's that's really the key difference that makes this kind of the magic, I think, is, yeah. is the design of whole life insurance. Absolutely. Because, you know, as, as this is an example we use all the time, there's two ways to buy a car that we've been taught. You can borrow or you can save up and pay cash. Right. Right. But there is a third way that the wealth creator uses, which is a combination of the two and controls the entire equation. They equation, they save up the cash and then they borrow against it. And then, like you said, leading on to another point, we'll go out of order here. What happens to that cash that they leveraged? They leveraged against their pile of cash. And what's happening to that as they're leveraging it and using it for, for it's, it's to still growing. Their, their needs of life. It's still going, right? Cause it's, yeah uninterrupted compound growth. So what, you know, everybody, all of those institutions spout, oh, well, Einstein said the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. That's great. Yeah. Is there any such thing as what, before we went live, we coined this term, call it, I think you coined it. So you, you say it. What did I say? The, oh, I wrote it down. See, I actually take notes here. Yeah, um, I'm just I'm just winging it off the, just off the picture here. What right. did I call well, it? It was uh, it was really good. I guess the Air Force plans missions. The Army just shows up and and figures it out as they go or tries to. Um, I'll lead you through this. So yeah, we just won the European War. It's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, try Back winning when it was the Army Air, Air Corps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they got wise and decided that yeah, let's just make it the Air Force. So. <laughs> Constantly interrupted compound interest is really what oh, the yeah. everyday oh, American man. investor earns. They they earn compound interest, but it's 
constantly interrupted daily, right? Yeah, so what Dave's talking about is volatility in the market. Like, right. And you could, you could even go into the dollar cost averaging thing where you're... The market's way up and you're still buying. You haven't like shut it. You're just, you know, because most people set it and forget it, right, Dave? They're doing sure. X percent of their income or Mac, you know, whatever the max is for that year for their 401k. So there's, they set it and forget it. Which you can't so blame them because like, what else do you have going on in life? You've got so much going on in life. You don't have time to manage your own portfolio. Yeah, no, right? no doubt. Yeah. Or maybe you're not interested in doing it because you want to, you know, pay a professional. And, you know, they've got all these nice acronyms behind their name that says they have taken all these exams and done all this stuff. But, you know, how are they actually generating wealth for you and your family? How? Specifically, I would ask that question. How are you helping me generate wealth? Yeah. Yeah. And no doubt, many of them are very good at what they do. And they, sure. they, and they do a fine job. Got to find that diamond in the rough. The, the issue is they could do the finest job in the world, but uh, there's always going to be volatility. There's always going to be interruptions in the compound growth, right? Yes. As, as an investor, as a banker, you get uninterrupted compound growth. If properly designed whole life insurance as an infinite banking practicer, you get uninterrupted compound growth for the rest of your life. So going back to imagine that $50,000 we lost to an alternative investment where we did not get a return of our capital. What's, what's the opportunity cost of that 50,000 if I was able to earn uninterrupted compound growth on that 50 for the rest of my life? I mean, I've got at least 40 years left That's right. in my calculation. That's yep. a lot of time. It's a lot of time. For that to compound. Imagine that. It's a lot of time. Yeah. So start thinking, stop settling, I guess is what, what this comes down to. Stop settling and saying, oh, I just want tax advantage and I want you know, some compound interest that's uh, constantly interrupted. How about I want tax-free and I want uninterrupted compound growth? Well, we don't have to settle. Nope. No, you don't. And again, they're, everyone's trying to just save a little bit on their taxes now, but they're, they don't know they don't know what the, what the opportunity cost is going to be 30, 40 years from now when they're drawing on that money, right? And then the the effects, the the unknown effects of that compound taxes. Yeah. Well, and as uh, Wade Fowl, Dr. Wade Fowl in his book, Safety First Retirement Planning said, what he asked, what is the, the uh, a safe uh, distribution amount during retirement? it's completely unknown. You have no idea how much you can safely remove from your portfolio every year because you don't know what the next year is going to bring. You just don't. Is it going to go down 30%? Is it going to go up 20%? I don't know. But if you did know, you would probably take your, your distribution would probably be different. But as it is, you have no idea. You know, I made a Facebook post a couple of weeks ago on that, uh, kind of on that topic, and I need to, I need to actually finish it. I, I got kind of distracted, um, but it was kind of built around like a 20-year lieutenant colonel, active duty military retirement. And what I want to tell, what I want to illustrate for people um, is if they, you know, paid their pension as premium, you know, kind of like I'm doing yeah. uh, on how much passive income later when you really need it like tax-free passive income 
guarantee that you could take out well beyond what you've put in. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars just if you just paid premium. That's not investing it, not doing any ventures, nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Just paying premium into a silly dividend paying a life insurance contract, how much tax-free passive income they could take out well beyond what they've paid in. Um, so yeah. anyway, I, I, I don't think that gets talked about enough, Dave, is that because uh, people don't, they don't know about it. Um, but it is something that we've discussed in this podcast often is by solving your need for finance, you've also solved your need or part of your need for income later in life. And you've also solved your need completely for life insurance. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Right? This is yeah. life insurance. I mean, that's what Nelson <laughs> says. He says, you know, if you solve your need for financing, hey, yeah, along the way, you're going to solve your need for, for life insurance without even trying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and that gets that gets missed as well somehow by, by folks. And I was like, man, I don't... How do I, how do I get the light bulb to go off in your head? Like we're exactly. trying to solve it. How much does a policy cost? That's one of my least mm, favorite questions yeah. because it's from a point of misunderstanding. How yeah. Well, the premium is whatever you want it to be. Um, do you want right. your bank to be big or small? I, I find people who ask that question have kind of been sold or at least in their mind, this is some kind of magic pill. Like this is some kind of magic bullet, this infinite banking thing. So what's the least amount I can do to partake yeah. in that magic? Yeah. Or what I think is also still the problem is that they're looking at this as a bill. Yeah. Right. That mindset is, this is a bill. How much do I want to pay into this bill? I don't want my bill to be too much. Mm -hmm. Right. They're not looking at it as a place that I'm capitalizing, I'm creating an asset, I'm creating a future cash flow, future wealth, guaranteed wealth, guaranteed tax-free income later in life. All these things that you could be creating. Um, and I, I know I'm gonna have one of those discussions this week from just a lack of lack of yeah. understanding. Because You're, frankly, maybe they haven't put in the time, which is more yeah. likely the case. They just haven't put in the time, listen to the things that have you know been instructed to listen to. Um, you got to read, you got to listen, you got to be well informed. And again, like we say all the time, Dave, right? If you know what the problem is, you'll know what to do. Exactly. Good. Um, well, let's, there's no quick or easy way, I think, to segue into this topic right here. But how does, I want to talk the difference in how an, a, the everyday American looks at an investment. And now let's, let's look at um, alternative <laughs> investment. Like, hey, um, this is where I lost a lot of money. One of these alternative investments, you know, a startup company or, Hey, I've got this great idea and we've got already have this stuff in the process and it looks really good. Check out this pro forma, <laughs> check this out. Yeah. And man, my eyes went huge and I was like, okay, yeah. Oh man. I don't want to miss out on that. Right. So the everyday American investor is going to look at that pro forma, which is really nothing more than, uh, than projecting what the growth is going to be based on what you know at the time. Um, and kind of like picking stocks based on their average rate of return over the last 10 years or something like that. But this is even worse because there's likely no history of this particular business or investment performing whatsoever. It's just a pro forma based on maybe other investments in that category that have been made before by other people. Um, yep. So instead of looking at pro forma, what does the banker look at? 
banker looks at guarantees. Like, hey, that pro forma looks great. And if that happens, spectacular. But where's my minimum guarantee? Yep. Because that's what I really care about. So. Well, I'm going to sign difference. in this line and I'm going to be the guarantee with all my personal assets. <laughs> or, or even worse, uh, yeah. my LLC is going to guarantee it. And guess what? When they my LLC, LLC that owns nothing. Nothing. Yeah. That, that has zero in collateral. Um, and yep. I'm not personally responsible for it. If it fails, it fails. And I mean, that's a corporation. That's it. Yep. Yeah. So big difference. So annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We both are speaking from personal experience. Yeah. Yep. Um, oh, there's my, my timer. Um, we, I think this last one's important to cover. Let's, let's hit it. Um, it's one of the most, it's, it's what this comes probably down the to. biggest thing we harp on. I think, um, yeah. as infinite banking practitioners is, uh, what the first thing I talk about with people is control. Right. Um, when you're doing, when you're, when you're doing anything, a lot, a lot of investments, whether it's, I don't care if it's syndication, stock market, private loan, whatever, you are abdicating control. How much control do you want to abdicate? In the early time, you know, in the early days, we, all of it, we're abdicating all of our control, which is why we put our money in 401k and IRA. That is abdicating control over capital. That is abdicating control over eventually being able to control the banking function in your life. Right. You will not be able to do those things and we ignore, we ignore the banking function at our peril. Like Ryan says that, I like that um, because we do. And I'm having, I have a call here in 15 minutes with you know your your everyday American person uh, who, over a lifetime of working, has abdicated some control or most of the control, and is now in a life changing situation where that if we have been doing IBC and properly capitalizing in a place where we can get to our money, everything would be less stressful. Yeah. Because I tell you, we don't know what's going to happen in our personal lives. Tragedy strikes, relationships end, whatever. Almost like the future is unknown. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So there's, you know, when some people abdicate control, um, with their eyes wide open because they don't think they have the knowledge it takes or the, sure. and they don't have the confidence because they don't have the knowledge to control their own capital. And I tell you what, nobody's born from the womb with the knowledge and the confidence to control your own capital. That's not something you're born with. You have to learn it. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to crack open a 92-page book called Becoming Your Own Banker and get your journey started with learning how to control your own capital and the advantages that come with it. And, and if that book doesn't resonate with you, please read The Case for IBC or How Privatized Banking Really Works. I would or say those Wealth are two Warehouse. Other, or, I'm sorry. Or Wealth warehouse, warehouse. Warehouse of Wealth. Yeah, Building Your, well, yeah, building yeah. your Warehouse of Wealth, for yeah. which this podcast is named, yep. which is Nelson's second book. Um, one of those four should do it for you. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, but there's there's no lack of uh, resources out there to help you with this journey. So, um, yeah, I think that about wraps it up, man. No, good uh, discussion. Good, uh, 
think kind of a good mindset episode, you know, get people thinking. Yeah. And the fact is we were all um, your everyday American investor at one point or another. Um, I was unless, worse. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were teaching I had five two nines. Yeah. I had, I had a couple of those as well. Um, <laughs> you know, in, unless you're like somebody I've talked to recently, uh, like a 22, 23 year old kid who, um, he, his, his company presented the 401k to him and talked to everybody like, you know, in a presumptuous manner, like we know you're going to sign up for it. So here's exactly how to sign up for it. Here's how to do it. And when he decided not to, the uh, HR lady came over and said, Hey, I noticed you're not signing up for this is, you know, do you understand what this is? Like thinking that, oh, he just blows his money. He wants his money today so he can go spend it at the bar or, or go buy a new car or something. Sure. Right. Yeah, um, heart's in the right place. Heart's in the right place. For sure. Um, the, the brain is not because, you know, that HR lady has not been exposed to a different way of thinking about capital. Yeah, no question. Yeah, but thankfully he was and he understands, um, which is why we're having conversations. So awesome. Yeah. Well, all right, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us. And until next time, control your capital. Or somebody else will. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at the ibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.